A new player in the chassis space has hit town and they are taking the industry by storm with their new pool initiative. If you missed last week's episode, be sure to go to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 93 to check out my conversation with Mike Wilson of CCM to see exactly what they are doing and what I'm talking about. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. We are one week away, guys. I hope you have your holiday shopping done because those parking lots are most likely packed and this is the time we're getting your online shopping delivered in time for most online retailers gets a little iffy. I hate to brag, but I like to get mine done early, so I've been done for a while, but I'm sure I will end up at least at the grocery store before the stores close. I don't want to stress you out too much, so let's shed some light on today's episode. Grant Taylor, an active listener and supporter of the show, recently reached out to me with a passion project he is working on. It encompasses one of the biggest challenges we face in humanity. It gets some airtime for sure, but not enough. Recently, I was talking to my sister-in-law about her work as a social worker and how human human trafficking is very prevalent still in her work. So when Grant approached me and said we have responsibility as supply chain professionals, it intrigued me enough to bring this story to you. If we can help one person save one life or shed more light with this episode, then let's do it. Before I introduce you to Grant and hear more about what we can do as supply chain professionals, let's get to the question of the week. So this week's question, how do we change the culture of a team? Well, over on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page, Michael Cadio. He says, swap out the leadership and get some new culture. Well, that is some really great advice, Michael. That has been the best way possible in my experience. Everything else tends to just be lip service. I love it. Naomi Garnes, culture is how we treat each other. When it comes to changing culture, we, we all play a role. That's absolutely sure, she says. But it's the V and C level that sets the bar for what is acceptable. They set the example and can move the needle the most in reshaping a culture. Schneeha says, would definitely add that leaders need to live and walk the change to set examples. Anthony, it starts at the top. Lisa, I like this strategy. Act your way into new thinking. Irina Roska, 
This is an issue in so many organizations, and I do agree that leadership definitely plays a key role. However, outside of that, I am a firm believer in shared metrics. I find that very few departments have empathy and respect for what others do, unless they are forced to really understand the pain points and share in solutions. Great advice. Michelle, be the change you want to see if you don't live it and work towards it first. How can you expect anyone to follow? And over on Instagram, Renu says, one thing that has always worked for me is to inform the background or objective of the changes requested. If you give the why, more people are susceptible to work with it or agree to it. Over on Instagram stories, Ezra Schmidt, he says, getting rid of toxic people regardless of their performance. Remember that you can go and check everybody out. Plus, I put a link to their LinkedIn profile so you can connect with each of them directly over on Listener's Corner at Let's Talk Supply Chain. Um, Also, every single Wednesday, we have this question on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Trust me, you want to be part of this conversation. So head over there every Wednesday morning around 10 a.m. Eastern, and we post that question, and we would love to hear from you. So what do we really know about human trafficking? Here's what I know. It's not getting any better, and it's still happening all across the globe, including your backyard. It affects everyone and is most likely the business that makes the most money other than selling drugs. So why should you care and what does this have to do with supply chain? Grant is here to tell us and I think we have even a small role to play and even if we do have that small role to play, we should know about it. So here's a little bit of background on Grant. Grant Taylor is a graduate of the University of Tennessee with a bachelor's degree in supply chain management and international business. He is the founder of Freedom Rings, a nonprofit organization which hosts charity boxing tournaments where all proceeds go towards human trafficking rescue operations that free children in the darkest corners of the world. Grant spent four years at the University of Tennessee learning how to build resilient and robust supply chains. He had no idea when he graduated that slavery would inspire him inspire him to do quite the opposite, dismantle them. Now he knows he wants to disrupt and tear down the supply chain that is human trafficking. Grant believes that the fight against slavery is not one reserved for experts alone. This is a fight for people that care about people. It is a fight to protect, rescue, find, and help these kids that are victim to the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world, human trafficking, and it will take a collective movement to stop it. So welcome to the show, Grant. Hey, Sarah, how are you today? Great, thanks. I'm so glad we could make this happen because as you know, by being a listener on the show, I am all about collaboration and helping supply chain professionals have a voice in the industry. So let's get started with some information about human trafficking and why we as supply chain professionals should care. So I mean, you're very, very passionate about this topic. So how are supply chain and human trafficking even related? Yeah, and I think that's a great place to start. Supply chain and human trafficking are related because human trafficking is a supply chain. And if that thought brings kind of an uneasiness and a gut-wrenching feeling to your body, it should. Because even saying the words just now, it kind of turns my stomach. But you know, at the highest level, when you think about supply chain, what is it? It's a network. Supply chain is a network of buyers, sellers, you know, resources, um, processes, technology, all these things that are involved in the creation and usually sale of a product. 
Um, so really everything from sourcing raw materials to the eventual delivery to an end consumer. And the scary part is, to me, the most terrifying thing is when we look at human trafficking, it is a supply chain and there's one thing that drives all supply chains. There's one thing that must be there for a supply chain to even exist to begin with. It's demand. There must be demand for a supply chain to exist because this whole network doesn't go through all of this work or this whole process if there isn't demand at the end. And you know, in every supply chain, there's an end user or consumer who's creating that demand for the product or service that flows through it. And that's just that's just economics. But it's sickening and it's, it's difficult to look at and it's difficult to talk about, but there's a demand for slavery, um, sexual slavery, um, labor, organ harvesting, things like, things like that. And um, there's a demand for children. And, you know, that is exactly what's driving the supply chain of human trafficking. Ugh, it's just such an ugly topic, but it's so needed. Like people really need to need to talk about it. I know that, you know, we see some of it on TV, but mostly it goes, you know, kind of under the radar. And I know that it's, you know, something that actually generates I think almost the most amount of money as a criminal enterprise. So where were you and what did you think when you first heard about this problem? Yeah. So for me, this wasn't any um, grandiose or divine moment where I had, you know, some kind of unique experience. It just happened watching Sunday afternoon football on my couch. And, you know, maybe some of you listening to this today are like me in that sense that you had heard whispers of it. And you knew that perhaps there were a few people in slavery in other countries, but you had no idea, really. You just had no idea the depths of the issue, how many people are really trapped without hope today. And that was me. I had no idea. Um, I was sitting in my apartment in Boston over a year and a half ago now. It was September, watching football on a Sunday. And I see this special come on ESPN before the game about this guy named Tim Ballard. And this organization that he founded, it was called Operation Underground Railroad. And Tim was a special agent. Um, and he had actually left his job with the government, one of the most secure jobs in the world, to go and help rescue these kids that are trapped in sexual slavery that he couldn't get to with the government because of a lot of red tape. And so he named his organization Operation Underground Railroad after the original Underground Railroad, which most of us probably recognize as the name of a secret network of abolitionists that was freeing slaves in the 1800s. And so I was immediately at the edge of my seat. I mean, the, the, the Sunday laziness that you kind of have had left my body and I just sort of felt this sense of urgency right. in my bones from what he was saying. <laughs> and as he began to tell these, the story of these millions of kids that are enslaved across the world and sharing about what he and his team are doing to help them by going undercover rescuing them, putting them in aftercare homes to heal. I was just rattled by that. And I remember feeling so many things. I was angry. I felt rage. I felt heartbroken, um, confused, mm. um, even a little bit de of denial, honestly, about that this was occurring. You know, I had never known about it before and it felt so far away and kind of too impossible to be real. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, the coverage ended and I immediately got off the couch and called my dad and I, I couldn't sit still. He answers the phone. I start going at him 100 miles per hour. I'm like, Dad, did you know that there are more slaves today than at any point in human history? And mm -hmm. I just start telling him about, about Tim Ballard and, and his jump team, which is this team of experts that's um, in intelligence, extraction, think Navy SEAL, CIA types. 
they're the ones who go in and pull these kids out of these dark places. And I said, dad, I want to do that. I want to go do that. I want to be a part of this. And he said, go do it. That's a worthy cause. And um, hung up the phone and, and couldn't stop pacing in my little studio apartment the rest of the day. And, and really since then, that's what I've been thinking about. And, you know, most people, if, if you already knew how bad this problem was, or even if you're just learning about it, the first place your mind goes when you learn it or hear about this, your mind goes to your kids. If you have kids, and I don't, but if you have kids, you're hearing about these things happening to children, and it's only natural to immediately think of your own and their innocence. And I don't have kids, and so when I heard about this, my mind went to my sisters, and I started thinking about, what if this happened to us, and no one was looking for us? Mm-hmm. And I thought about my parents. I said, what, what if they had been stolen and trafficked as kids? Just how different would our lives be? I probably wouldn't even be here. I, you know, I love the openness of your mindset and I love how authentic you are being, you know, in this interview and for the community to really understand how the next generation is really looking at society. They're looking at the world. They're looking at the problems that have been occurring, like human trafficking, for a Mm. very, 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 very long time. I don't think there's really been a period where we've ever gone without it. Um, It may have changed over the years, but it's definitely a really, really big global humanitarian issue. Um, And like you said, as long as there's demand, it's going to happen. Right. So... What's the story here? You know, how was you, you went to school for supply chain management. We all know from your bio, um, that you've gotten your degree and, um, you immersed yourself in, in supply chain in school. So how was this connection realized and why, you know, why pursue it? I mean, you've just given us the heartfelt, you know, moment when you really realized that this was something that you wanted to be a part of. But, you know, why take it a step further? Definitely. Um, I think the connection was even taken to the next level for me when I entered the workforce. And, you know, first I want to make clear, I'm not an expert on human trafficking. I'm just not. Um, you know, I've done my own research and over these past couple of years, um, but I'm still not an expert. Um, but I, I recently worked as a buyer for a large grocery retailer. And I had a moment not long after I learned about this evil thing that I was looking at my resume and my title was buyer. And it just, it kind of all hit me at once. Um, I was overcome with emotion and it just shook me to read that. Now that I was aware of this problem, that's stealing the lives of children to read the title buyer on the page. It just hit me hard in in a way I hadn't looked at it before because I understood that the only reason that I had a job at that retailer was because there was demand for these groceries and these groceries flowing through the supply chain, um, ultimately to an end customer. And, um, the reason that my skill was valued and that I had that job was because of that. And so reading that title on the resume was so different to me and so difficult because I had to understand there's buyers for children and I I couldn't come to terms with that or put that into words. And I, I never will be able to, um, but that, kind of ignited that spark and helped me draw that connection back to my degree and say, you know, wait a second here. There's a, there's a, there's a deeper connection. Yeah. And the next generation is really looking at everything so differently. I, I'm going to sort of 
go in another direction just for a second. But when I spoke to somebody around your age that had done supply chain management, um, done a supply chain management degree over in Asia, Mm. she was talking about when she, um, I believe she took like a warehousing course or something about warehousing. And she looked at it from an interior design perspective and how she could use her create creative, um, you know, skills to be able to um, integrate those into supply chain. And so I think what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, we're all in our our bubble about supply chain, right? We're all supply chain professionals, but I think that the breath of fresh air that's coming up with your generation and the next generation into this industry is that it's really opening up our eyes to see how things are correlated, how you guys are seeing things, how you're expressing how you feel uh, when you hear about certain challenges, certain issues that are coming, how you can mm. marry up the skills that you have in one area and bring them to supply chain to really elevate what we are doing in this industry. And it's such a dynamic industry that I think, you know, it's great to hear from people like you, yes. especially even on topics, you know, like this that are going to stir emotion. Um, but it's important and it's important that we talk about things, these, t- these things. So what makes a normal business supply chain successful and do the same things apply to a criminal supply chain like human trafficking? That's a great question. Um, A typical supply chain follows the plan source maker process. Every supply chain professional has heard that before. Um, You know, you're planning how to execute, you're sourcing raw materials Um, with make, you're, you're manufacturing and managing equipment and facilities and then deliver, which includes transportation and where you're delivering the final product. So a criminal supply chain like human trafficking looks different, but it's made up of the same fundamentals. And it might look something like, okay, plan. Traffickers make plans on how they will go after victims. Um, Well, there's no raw materials in sourcing in this supply chain. So these are people we're talking about. Um, So there's no raw materials, but um, you know, Sourcing is essentially victims being kidnapped, tricked, bought. Um, The make in this process, and again, there's nothing to manufacture here, but make still encompasses facilities and warehousing. And you better believe that these people who are sick and twisted enough to do this, they have places that they're keeping these victims and these children. Um, I mentioned Tim earlier, who who founded Operation Underground Railroad. He has a book, um, Slave Stealers, uh, where he talks about how on one of his very first rescue operations in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, he went and saw with his own eyes children being held in fake orphanages. And, you know, a couple of them that he encountered that day are actually his children now. Um, He adopted them. But when he showed up, they were being held in filthy conditions in a fake orphanage. And this is a literal building, if you can imagine, with a sign on it that says it's an orphanage. And, you know, we know that the actual definition of an orphanage, it's supposed to be a place of refuge for children who need care and are separated from their biological families. And you have these traffickers using that to sell children out of for sex. And the final step would be um, deliver. And and Tim and his team have conducted a, a multitude of sting operations by outwitting the traffickers, using that final piece against them, that final piece in the process. Because These people who do this, they're willing to go and meet and deliver these kids to a place where they think they will be paid for either selling or renting kids to people 
who are perverts. And what they actually end up doing is delivering them, delivering the children right into the hands of the good guys, of Tim and his team at a sting house. And they've saved hundreds and hundreds of kids, thousands of kids doing this, um, which is, is just incredible. But as far as what makes a normal supply chain successful, you know, I think, Sarah, that that question can be a lot more subjective than objective sometimes um, based on what industry you're in or, or what your organization places the most value on or where your core competencies are. But if we're talking big picture, you know, you can throw out buzzwords like resiliency, um, you know, agility, the ability to be agile and visibility. And I'm leaving plenty out, but if we just roll with those three and, and kind of break those down, um, you know, resilience is one. A criminal supply chain like human trafficking, if it's one thing, you better believe it's resilient. The people that are doing this, that are running these ranks are resilient and they continue to find ways to try and continue doing what they're doing because anyone who's willing to buy or sell a child is too sick and evil to be stopped eat, to be stopped that simply. Um, agility was the second one. Well, and I think, I think, I think, and sorry to interrupt, but I think also in our discussions, um, you've talked about how as supply chain professionals, we build supply chains up right? and you're taking a look at dismantling them or even Tim is as well mm. from, you know, this challenge in, in human, human trafficking, the, the supply chain that sort of comes around that. Yes. And so it's an interesting contrast. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, Really, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that, that Tim and his team do well and the, the experts and the people around the world that are combating this is they actually use that, um, that second piece against the traffickers because um, a lot of them, they are, um, they are basically really good at being responsive. So um, essentially what Operation Underground Railroad does and some of these professionals do is they go undercover to become them. They go deep undercover to become who these traffickers are and to wreck and disrupt that agility. And traffickers are only getting keener to knowing when they're being closed in on. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, even when they're caught, sometimes they can manipulate foreign governments in some cases to get back on the streets and resume what they're doing. Um, you know, for example, there's a huge operation conducted in Port-au-Prince that saved over two dozen children. And the leader of that ring was arrested that day, but only a few days later, they had bought their way out with bribery wow. to some of the corrupt judges. And they went had to go and get her again. Um, and so, but, but that's one of the ways that, that the experts in this field are able to kind of infiltrate the supply chain. Wow. And um, use- Break it down. Yeah, break it down, disrupt it, use what they're doing against them. And um, it's dangerous work, but it, it has to be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what what kind of you know stats are we looking at? I mean, I know from some past experiences and being involved with um, some non-for-profits in the past in regards to human trafficking um, and, you know, that it's not just a global, a lot of it is domestic, right? Which is... Something that I don't think a lot of people realize that it's happening in their backyard. You know, right. it almost seems like it's happening 
elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that it happens a lot in North America as well. So talk to me a little bit about that. What kind of stats are we looking at? And is it, you know, a global and domestic problem? Certainly. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. It is a global and domestic problem. And the numbers are staggering and, and they're disturbing beyond belief. But you, you touched on this earlier, Sarah, but slavery is a huge business. So um, actually with the money made in human trafficking every year, you could buy every Starbucks franchise in the world. You could buy an NBA team in the nation and you could buy every Target store across the globe because it's bringing in $150 billion annually. So $150 billion? $150 billion annually in this business. Wow. And so... No wonder they can buy them buy, it, buy back into society. Unbelievable. So there's roughly 30 to 40 million people right now estimated to be enslaved. And the crazy part about that is uh, we know that, you know, modern day slavery is a lot different than slavery from the 1800s, but slavery has always existed, as we said in the beginning. The amount of slaves today, you could literally add up all the slaves over the 300 years of the transatlantic slave trade, and it wouldn't even be close to how many modern day slaves there are right now. There's more people in slavery today than at any point in human history. And 10 million of those slaves are in the commercial sex trade, and then 2 million of those are children. And so that's really where our work begins, and that's where Operation Underground Railroad's work begins and kind of what they're choosing to focus on. Um, These traffickers are actually more attracted to this business than, say, drugs because drugs are sold and then that's it. The cycle of the transaction is over, but people can be repeatedly sold. Um, Right. But to to go deeper into domestic and global, it's happening everywhere. It's happening in the darkest corners of the world and it's happening in the United States. It's not far from home like a lot of us think it is. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's thousands of children that are smuggled into the U.S. per year and and thousands of them that are being forced into the commercial sex trade in the U.S. And the the real issue here is that the United States creates the most demand for sex trafficking. 80% of trafficking cases have been documented to be um, sexual trafficking in the United States has been documented to be the most common destination. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and you know, what else is wild is that, um, these people that do this, they are making, I mean, we talked about $150 billion. I'll give you some quick figures right here. The pimps that are doing this in, in some cities that we all know, like Atlanta, Dallas, Denver, their cash income per week, I'll, I'll give you Kansas City right here. They're actually the lowest on this list. They're a pimp in Kansas City is making $5,000 a week. That adds up to a salary of two hundred sixty grand per year. Wow. So the, the motivation is there for that? them. Yeah. Where, right. where else are you going to make that? Exactly. And, kind of money. You know, exporters um, here in America are are not as elusive as you may think because a lot of us think, well, what kind of people would do this? Well, 36% of trafficked children are trafficked by a family member. And if you expand to include uh, intimate partners and friends, and things like that, that number jumps to 56%. So, you know, those, those numbers are hard for me to believe. Um, but, but the more knowledge we have, the more power we have, and the more we understand about this issue, the more effectively we can fight it. Yeah, and it's about, you know, bringing those numbers into the light 
Mm. talking about them, talking about this subject and, you know, really bringing awareness to it and knowing what is sort of next and how we can help with it. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But um, you also, when we've spoken, you know, you talk about story. Right. You know, and uh, so talk a little bit about that. Why in this scenario, when we're talking about supply chain and human trafficking and how those two are linked, you know, why does story matter? Yeah. I mean, if you're in supply chain, then then you know we're numbers driven. We have a lot of numbers that we use in our profession, but ultimately there's a people element to supply chain that tells the story. And, and this is mm-hmm. what's so critical. Story matters because it makes it personal to us. And we love to talk about numbers in supply chain and in business, but um, you know this is this is where s- the story really matters. So for trafficking, we can't just look at the number of children or people in slavery. Of course, it's important, but we need to know their stories. Um, and, and I'll share a short one with you right now about a boy named Gardy. So he's a Haitian boy, but it wasn't these staggering numbers that started an organization like Operation Underground Railroad that goes and saves these kids. You know, obviously that can be motivating knowing the numbers, but it was really a name that ignited that mission and a name that ignited my mission. And, and, uh, I heard that story through Tim Ballard and the, this guy's name is, is Gardy. And Tim saw an article online one day about Gardy and his story from his home in Utah about this little boy in Haiti. He saw a picture of a man named Gesno, uh, who was Gardy's father. And the picture showed Gesno removing rubble and and helping people that were injured in Port-au-Prince, Haiti after the earthquake hit in 2010. Massive earthquake. Most of us will remember that. Um, And and just weeks before that, his son, Gardy, had been kidnapped. So this is all in this article. And Tim couldn't believe how much this man had endured. So he called him. And then he actually ended up flying him out to the United States. And they met. He met Gesno and he shared with him how his son had been kidnapped and this, this is Tim's specialty, right? Because he worked for the government in undercover operations. And Gesno actually knew, mm-hmm. based on statements from people involved and phone records, where Gardy was being held. He was in a fake orphanage. But the police, the Haitian police, would not raid it where he was being held because they did not supposedly have enough evidence. And so, you know, Tim's trying his best to help, but there's little he could do because it's not a U.S. case. So there's really no legal or or jurisdictional authority to act. And, you know, when they're meeting in the U.S., Tim looked Gesno in the eyes and and he promised him, I'm going to help you find your son. Mm -hmm. And eventually he hit a dead end um, through the U.S. government. And so he made the decision to quit his job. He left his role with the government to help find Gardy and then eventually start the Operation Underground Railroad. And but Gardy was the inspiration behind that. And, you know, his team has executed thousands of rescues now, which means thousands of kids were saved because of Gardy and because of Gardy's story, not because of a number of how many people are being trafficked. And so I think as we continue to learn and understand the problem, not just through the numbers, but through stories, those are what inspire us and, and call us to action. I would absolutely agree. And being a listener of the show, you know that, you know, that's part of what I do here on on the podcast and what is so inspiring to me is that I get to talk to people like you, like the women in my supply chain series, like the different supply chain professionals that come on the show. And, mm. you know, it's so great to hear that from somebody as passionate 
about uh, about this topic as you are because I talk about story all the time and how important it is and how you need to get out there and tell your story or yes you know tell somebody else's story and and so I'm really glad that we sort of touched on on this because it's just so important to learn from one another learn the inspiration behind you know different companies why they started non-for-profits you know organizations like yours like his you know, and um, it's just truly inspirational, and it and it so it just brings us all together. Mm, you know, definitely. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Just brings us all together and um, brings awareness to to what we're doing. So, you've mentioned a little bit about slavery in the 1860s and the connection to the origin of the Underground Railroad. So, are there any examples of supply chain fighting slavery even as far back as that? Believe it or not, there actually are. Um, wow. I've got a name for you. Henry Box Brown. So this guy, he was born into slavery in 1816. And Henry worked for his so-called master in Richmond, Virginia as a slave. And <clears throat> excuse me, he married another slave girl named Nancy. Well, Henry was also working on the side to pay his master to not sell Nancy so that they could have, uh, they could be together and them and their three children could remain in the same place. Well, his master broke the deal that they had and sold Nancy and the kids off anyways. So at one point, Henry Brown comes home from work to find his wife and kids being carted away on a wagon to an unknown location. And at that point, he vowed to himself that he would escape. He had had enough. And as he was wrestling with this one day, he just prayed to God to give him an escape route. And then he got this idea. He had a light bulb moment. And he said, you know what? I'm going to hide myself in a box and have a friend ship me to abolitionists in Philadelphia. So he goes and buys a wooden crate about three feet wide, two feet high. And he acquired some sulfuric acid, actually, and dumped it on his own hand until it burned a hole all the way down to the bone. And he did that so that he could get out of work. So now he has time off of work to escape. He pokes holes in the box and gets in it with some water and some biscuits and physically ships himself in the mail. Um, back in, in 1849, this happened. And, and the box was carried by, you know, talk about supply chain. The box was carried by a wagon, by railroad, and by steamer going north, <laughs> all with him inside. And eventually he made it there to the abolitionists that were secretly waiting on it. And escaped, and he got out of the box a free man, and from then on was known as Henry Box Brown. And you know, the the reason that I I like sharing that story is because it takes creativity and courage to pull off slave rescues. And modern slave modern day slavery is a lot different, as we know, um, but creativity is still needed. And you know, I don't think anybody's more creative than supply chain professionals. I might be a little biased, but um, I think that there's a need for creativity. Even if you're not in rescue operations, we need to be creative about how we spread awareness, how we care for these children in aftercare, how we fight the problem. Well, not only that, and I, I like that you brought that up because I talk about, you know, um, automation and technology, mm. giving back time so that supply chain professionals can be more creati creative and strategic. And I think that it's really important moving forward to what we're doing in supply chains. And 
if we're given back that time and able to spend the time in those skills specifically, we're not only going to be able to help with these kinds of issues, but we're also going to be able to help on an environmental level. You know, there's so much more. There's so many more new opportunities and possibilities of how the supply chain can affect, you know, different socioeconomic challenges. We're all problem solvers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We just need to have the time to be a little bit more create creative and strategic to be able to put those skills to work for the better of, I think, you know. Yeah, absolutely. The world, you know, humanity as a whole, um, you know, we've got a lot of challenges now and not just this one that we're highlighting today, but the environmental, like I said, and the sustainability. And there's so much that's going to come from that as long as we're allowed to spend the time on those skills and bringing that creativity and strategic mindset to what we're doing. And I, you know, I'm really excited about that because I think that, you know, there's a, there's a long way to go and there's a lot more that we can do. And and I can't wait to, to sort of see. So you've talked a lot about, you know, Tim's organization. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing um, because you're so passionate about this subject that you not only reached out to me and we decided to do this episode, but you're taking it one step further and creating your own organization. Um, and so I want to I want to know more about that. Let's tell the community about that. So it's called Freedom Rings. Yes. And tell us a little bit about it. What's next in your journey with Freedom Rings? Definitely. Freedom Rings is is a nonprofit, as you said, um, that we just started, and we will be holding charity boxing tournaments that donate all proceeds from the tournaments to rescue operations that help free these children in the darkest corners of the world. Um, and basically, what we're doing is we offer everyday people a chance to get in and literally fight for the freedom of enslaved children. You don't have to be a professional; this is open to anyone. And Freedom Rings really started because I wanted to do something about this. But you might be wondering, why, why boxing? Well, boxing for me is what I love. It speaks to me. I think, you know, I love the example that you come to an intersection on four corners. On one corner, there's a football game. Another, there's a basketball game. And then on the third, there's a soccer game. If there's a crowd of people at that intersection, and then there's a fist fight down the fourth corner, everyone is going to watch the fight. It's always been my favorite sport um, because you don't have to start with anything to be something. You know, at its, at its purest form, boxing is not about money or what you think you deserve or where you come from. You can have, you can have nothing. You can have nothing else but just something in your chest and you can be someone in the ring. And, you know, really all other sports are simply a metaphor of, of trying to exert your will on your opponent except they, they use a ball or some other type of equipment that acts as a medium for that in the game. Boxing removes that. It's just two individuals literally trying to impose their will on one another. And I, I've always been in love for it, love with it for that reason. Um, and I, now I kind of feel like this is a special chance to use that passion to combine with this and help these kids that desperately need help. Um, and Sarah, you asked, you know, what's next in our journey? Well, our journey is really just beginning. This this is kind of our origin story here, which is a special time to be a part of this because we're at the beginning now. And what's next for us is our first event in Nashville, Tennessee, 
Uh, we're aiming to have our first tournament there in July. So if you're listening to this right now and you want in, you want to fight in the tournament, you want to be a sponsor, you want to help in some way, or you just want to come out to the fight, um, we want to hear from you. We need sponsors. We need fighters. We need people that just want to do something. Um, and I, you know, I actually want to um, take the opportunity to, to give out um, contact information because we're still working on getting up and going online. Um, but if, if you are interested in any capacity, I'll, I'll give my phone number right now and you can give me a call or a text. It's 615-739-0486, or you can reach us at freedomrings at gmail.com. And we'd love to connect. I'm hoping that people will come from all over the world for this. Awesome. And I think that, you know, I, you've already sort of spoken about how people can get involved, which I would assume includes obviously supply chain professionals, but is there anything specific that uh, us as supply chain professionals can do not only for freedom rings, but maybe just in general to help support uh, this cause? Certainly. Um, you know, we, we need supply chain professionals to help this cause. Um, we need everyone. We need creativity. Um, but other things that you can do um, is combine passion with cause. You know, for me, that's freedom rings. For me, that's boxing. That's where I found my spot. But what is that for you? You know, ask yourself, you, you mentioned the young lady that was uh, interested in interior design and was coupling that with warehousing. Um, you know, that's, that's really unique. Everybody has something like that. So find what that is for yourself. What speaks to you? The other thing you can do is know the signs. Um, you know, when I first started learning about this, I didn't know how to recognize trafficking, but there are ways you can, and we can be more alert. There's actually free training for that on Operation Underground Railroad's website, and I'm sure there's plenty of other sources that offer that too. I'd encourage you to just search that in Google and see what you can find. Um, you know, be educated, spread awareness, know the stories, see these kids for who they are beyond statistics like Guardi. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, this is about people. And uh, these are people that need help and they need hope. And, um, you know, that that's that's really why I like Let's Talk Supply Chain as a podcast. It's telling the stories of these supply chains. And I can't think of a more important story or more important supply chain to be aware of right now. At the end of the day, we really just need more people who just want to do something. Absolutely. And the other thing that I'm going to bring up as well is I had Kathy Fulton of Allen Aid. She was on the Woman in Supply Chain series a few episodes ago. And what she talked about was even just expertise, mm. right? Just your expertise in supply chain um, can actually yes. move the needle forward more than you probably even realize. So for, you know, maybe organizations like Tim's, you know, Operation Railroad to reach out and say, hey, I'm a supply chain professional. This is what I know. This is my background. I've been in it for a long right. time. I, I, I know about supply chains. So if they have right. any need for that or any questions around how it works or what that looks like or what they should be looking for, just your expertise and lending an ear lending a voice, um, lending your knowledge could be, could mean the difference of, you know, being part of that rec rescue mission, um, 
and can give back to, you know, the community and the cause and all that. So just something else to consider as well. So finally, before we wrap this up, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think that it's so important and that uh, I'm, I'm just glad that we're getting this story out. So who is qualified for this fight against human slavery? Well, what we, what we really need here is a movement. And, you know, hopefully maybe you notice that in the bio and the intro that there's no mention of founder and CEO. It's just founder. And that that's intentional. It, it doesn't mean we don't have a leadership team at Freedom Rings that makes decisions for Freedom Rings or takes responsibility, but we just check titles at the door. And, you know, I had an idea that started this. Yes, but the I ends there and we're the founders of this. And that's, that's really what this is about is a collective movement of everyone being qualified. The whole idea of Freedom Rings is that one founder and everyone has a stake in it. It's, it's a global and domestic problem that we're facing that doesn't discriminate. And so we need an answer that doesn't discriminate. You know, whatever race, political preference, religion, whoever you are, wherever you're from, you're invited to be a part of this movement because that's what this is and that's what it will take to end slavery is a movement. So it's, it's not mine, it's ours. And that's kind of the mentality that we take. And, you know, if, if you want to be a part of it, we need you. But as far as, you know, as far as being qualified, if you want to get skin in the game, and, and if this hasn't come to mind already and, and you're, you're going to end up asking yourself, am I really qualified for this? And to be completely honest, Sarah, I asked myself the same thing before I reached out to you and before, you know, you agreed to have me on here. Am I truly, truly qualified to be speaking about this? Look, I, I'm not an expert in human trafficking. Have I learned and researched a lot? Yes, but I'm by no means one of the world's experts, but don't ever let that detail fool you for a second into thinking that you don't have a place in the fight. Everyone has a stake here. Everyone's qualified to do something. And I truly believe that this fight is not reserved for experts. This fight is for people who care about people. It's, it's the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world, and it's going to take a movement to stop it. So I think that everyone has a part to play and a strength or gift to offer. And I would really turn that question back to the audience. You know, what will you do? There's 2 million kids that are stuck somewhere and being taken advantage of. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And that's such a powerful question. And your passion just exudes through the microphone. And I hope that the community can feel that just as much as I can, because obviously you and I are on the ends of two different microphones. Um, we've never met you know, um, yes. we've never met in person, um, but it's people like you with that passion that's really going to be able to help move the needle forward and create that movement. So after talking to you and understanding more about how supply chain plays a role in human trafficking, I am definitely ready to take some steps and talk about this more so we can make a difference. If you want to learn more about Grant, his cause, Freedom Rings, and this episode, please visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 94. Grant, we appreciate everything you are doing for reaching out to me so you, we can tell your story and just thank you so much for coming on the show. Sarah, thank you so much for being willing to give, give us the platform. Um, grateful to be talking to you today. If you like this episode, make sure to go to our new Woman in Supply Chain page over at letstalksupplychain.com and check out Kathy Fulton's episode. Kathy Fulton is from Allen Aid and she's doing some incredible 
work for nonprofits in helping them with their logistics and their supply chain. And as a supply chain professional, you too can get involved with what she's doing as well if you're looking for different ways to give back to the community. Next week, it's a family affair. Allison and George Fowler, they are joining me here on the show and we are talking about a family's perspective on supply and demand planning. Each of them play very different roles in different organizations and have different perspectives and views on supply chain. And uh, they come together when they have a challenge to solve and they look at it from very different perspectives and they're here to talk to us about it, telling us how they view the supply chain, how they're looking at demand planning, supply planning, uh, technology in supply chain and how they support each other to do that. So remember to stay tuned for that next week. If you'd like to support the show a little bit more, follow us, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube, the SC Supply Chain TV, so you don't miss out on any of the new video content that we come out with weekly. And also subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Next, go to ships.com, that's S-H-I-P-Z.com. If you are a mid-market shipper, if you are a forwarder, and you are looking for that platform that can help with what you are doing. Ships is it. Go to shipz.com, fill in your information, and you will be one of the first people to know when we are ready to launch, what we have been working on, and how it's going to help you in your business. Next, go to shop under letstalksupplychain.com. It's full of merchandise for the supply chain professional in your life this holiday season. We've got all sorts of things on there and uh, we talk about how supply chain professionals are miracle workers. We've got that on a sweater. So go and check that out under shop at letstalksupplychain.com. Next, rate and review the show. Go to iTunes, review the show, and I will feature you on an upcoming episode. Thank you so much for all of your love and support each and every single week. Happy holidays to everyone. And remember, everybody, ship happens.